As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box of apartments. I light up. I call myself a cognac. And I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? And start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special Rum and Rant. I'm your host, Blake Howard. This is the podcast on One Heat Minute Productions, Patreon, usually exclusively, but sometimes I like to flick them out there to the world to tease them to see what you guys are missing. I want to do a quick shout out before we get started, before I get to my incredible guests and the incredible film that we're going to be covering today. I want to just say some names. This is our Neil McCauley tier. This is the people who've been with us at our highest level and backing us for some time. Some people, you're going to know these names. John Glynn, Alexander Steiner, Amanda Regent, Andreas Pedersen, Andrew Parker, Ben Hobden, Bilga Abiri, Craig Matheson, Dan Hasfield, David Fassel, Ethan Warren, Garth Franklin, George Wishart, James Adamo, Jordan Harper, Joseph Rosner, Justin Shaw, Kane Sherman, Mitchell Beaupre, Nate Small, Niall Schwartz, Pat, Sean Burns, Stu Coote. For those particularly in the Neil McCauley tier, welcome, because as we're recording this, the Heat 2 sequel novel has been formally launched it is coming out in august of 2022 and there will be another special bonus podcast i can tell you guys about with myself and travis woods star of the 165th minute episode of one heat minute who if you guys are remember and i know that those guys probably will made me promise on air that if the heat novel materialized i had to continue the show and of course one heat minute will continue chapter by chapter of the new Heat novel. Guests are lining up. The crew is lining up. Some members of that Indeed Patreon crew. We may even do some bonus episodes on here with you guys. And I'm sure that today's guest is going to be lining up for that. And you bet your sweet ass I'm going to be nagging him to be a part of it. That is just going to happen. He is my friend, a pop critic, 
a pop culture commentator. He has a stack of bylines at a, a whole suite of different phenomenal publications. Some of them where I first started noticing his work is things like RogerEbert.com and Vulture. But he is a friend of One Hit Minute Productions in every way possible. Um, is a is the best possible hang talking heat on Twitter and also joined Katie Walsh and I for a terrific episode of Miami Nice where we gushed um, pretty liberally about all things Michael Mann, but particularly that movie. Uh, and I've been stalking his Twitter, um, as I have want to do, because he's uh, a mind that I admire. And he was talking about a movie that had literally just passed its 10th anniversary. It is the 2011 Stone Cold Espionage Masterpiece by Thomas Alfredson, the adaption of John le Carre's Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. He's my friend, Isaac Feldberg. Man, thank you so much for just gushing about this movie in the way that only you can because it was such an inspiration to be like, man, that movie is so underloved. Underloved is the only thing I can think of. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Blake. It's always a pleasure to be here and to to be chatting with you, especially because you always pick the best movies. I I think that you're so right <laughs> that 20, 2011's Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is an unsung uh, masterpiece. I mean, I would go that far, wouldn't you? It, oh. it, it seems we were yeah. just talking about the fact that it's missed. It's, it's sort of it's sort of uh, we we sort of glazed over its 10-year anniversary in, a, in an environment where usually 10-year anniversaries for movies inspire a revisitation especially of these sorts of things and um i remember Stu coot and garth franklin two two patrons i mentioned but two of my greatest friends and greatest supporters we always talk about tinker taylor like garth is a huge lacare guy i've got many of his books on my shelf actually strangely i don't have tinker taylor but like He's such a great novelist. We always talk about how rich his novels are and just how lived in. And obviously, Lacare himself, the real man behind Lacare, um, yeah. was in the special intelligence service. So, like, these characters are lived in, these worlds are lived in, the tensions are real. And we honestly cannot believe that this movie doesn't get its dues because I feel like. You know, I think what is the greatest blockbuster and also one of the greatest blockbuster sponges of what happens in movies, the James Bond franchise, especially in Skyfall, directly benefits and pilfers oh, yeah. from the mood of Tinker Taylor in such a way that it's just like, for all of us Tinker Taylor fans out there, we were just like, hey, thanks for borrowing this, but also it's kind of awesome, but like, Hey, remember Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, the other movie that has every great British actor almost ever together, like interacting with each other, like across the generations. I, I, we talk about it privately. So seeing you pop up and talking about it, I'm like, man, that was one film and, and it is one film that I, I just truly think has boundless potential to mine. It, it, it is a really special, special film. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, you know, it, it is so true that the James Bond franchise is a bit of a sponge for the best and the brightest in yes. spy spy cinema. And, you know, Sam Mendes, uh, um, without getting disrespectful, I, I don't think he really came by everything in that movie, honestly. I think he, you know, has his eyes open and he's looking at talented directors, what they're doing. And then he's like, oh, I could probably do that too. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think that that works for him as a hired hand. I think it's done, it's done him quite well, but what Thomas Alfredson did, um, is really just inject a syringe into like the, 
the dead like heart of of Le Carre and really find a way to translate that to the screen in a way that I thought was quite radical at the time and subsequent rewatches have kind of held that up for me as this being an uncommonly uh, well-attuned adaptation to to something that's an incredibly dense and somewhat tricky subject to get right, which is just the the kind of the maze of shadows and the maze of very much more personal restraints and withholdings that define the characters of Lecrae's novels. There's something that's so specifically stifled about this mm -hmm. adaptation that is almost like counterintuitively um, just exhilarating. It, it takes my breath away to see how how cold and how compressed uh, the filming of, of this movie is. Uh, you, you know, you think about spy movies, you think about James Bond as being very high octane and you think of them as really delighting in their stunts. I think that the franchise's direction into more kind of careful, uh, carefully composed cinematography and more uh, just thoughtful artistic framings. I think that owes a lot to what Tinker Taylor showed could be revealed about plot and character through through the careful movement of camera. Uh, but I'll pass it back to you for that. No, I was just going to say the one thing that I love that you said and, and I love about this movie is it finds a way for just to anchor something that Lacare gets so deeply in all of his novels, which is like when you work in the special intelligence service for the most part, and, and, and there's a great little like terrific contemporary interview on the Tinker Taylor Blu-ray, just the dead basic one. I know it's in Australia. I'm definitely sure it's in the UK and, and, and the States, but he just talks about like working in the SIS. This is the reality. You got to work every day. And the only safety and comfort that you have are the colleagues you have, because what you do is you're living essentially a secret life and you don't tell your family, you're living a, an active double life. You don't tell your family any of your secrets, sometimes the less experience. And I think he's inference in the interview and he's such a classy bitch uh, in, in, in our modern parlance, but he's like the modern inference is some people who are less experienced might tell their family, their wives, their boyfriends, whatever their proclivities are. They might tell people in their lives things that are happening that is all just a trap to be exploited, um, which this movie delves into so wonderfully. Um, and then he says, when the witch, around this witch hunt uh, time, that actually literally happened in the Special Intelligence Service when American intelligence was blooming and telling the English Special Service in the post-war, which was up up all the way into the end of World War II, was the world's premier um, <clears throat> intelligence service, was telling that they were leaked and they were infiltrated by Russian spies. And so he said, after the only safety that you have, this sanctuary that you have, you look around you and now all of these people, the people that you can only find trust in and have on, the only people that have any kind of understanding about exactly what you're going through can no longer be trusted. And what is so specific, but also universal about that is that anyone who's ever worked in high pressure corporate culture or high pressure entertainment you know, culture of those things. You have those things where you have these cliques because you're all sharing collective experience. And then when trust is called into question, it just, it is corrosive. And in this paradigm, which is what's so sublime is there's no currency in losing your cool. And I feel like so, like in so many movies and great movies, by the way, like uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you get people like the volatility of potential betrayal is, right. is, is just 
delicious, right? It's just like, oh, give me more. It's so decadent. You're like, give me more of this. But in this movie, the complete withdrawal of outward emotions because ultimately they are flaws to be exploited by people who you can't trust is just like in everything. And so, you know, a movie, we, we, we've both gushed about gestural performance. I just look at this movie and I go, like, I mean, in Isaac and I's collective work, we talk a lot about gestural performance. But, like, I'd look at this and I'm just like, it, he just made them, all these great actors who can do big, he just made them do 50 and 60% less. And somehow yeah. it feels like they're doing yeah. 100% more than they've ever done. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I love so much of what you just said there. And I think it's all so true about the way that Tinker Taylor gets uh, Le Carre and gets this, um, the the brilliance of the premise of Tinker Taylor specifically. I mean, you you mentioned that it draws from Le Carre's life and his own experiences in the, in the special services, uh, specifically from like the Kim Philby betrayal, which is like a huge event yeah. in British espionage history. Uh, but I love that it really is this story of like, how do you discover a spy in a nest of spies? It's like <laughs> trying to trying to name every shade of gray imaginable. You, you can't specifically pinpoint everyone's motivations because all of them are hidden behind all of these different shields and layers uh, of different classified information and different different ways of playing one another. Um, I loved there. There's a poster that came out that Matt Taylor did for Mondo earlier today. It actually went live, but it was just all of the characters being moved around a chessboard, and oh. that I just love the gamesmanship, the brinkmanship of this adaptation uh, because of what, exactly what you're saying, which is that these this cream of the crop of, of British acting. Uh, royalty really in terms of how all of these performers have aged since and especially Tom Hardy I'm thinking of um, the career he's had since 2011 uh, there's just this amazing spectacle of watching these restrained performances uh, tell you everything in any way other than the dialogue yes um, and and I just love watching the movie for that reason because there's just such a, a compensation uh, where where the dialogue in the script uh, with withdraws and hides and conceals, uh, you're seeing so much through costuming and music and colors and framing that the Alfredson is using to both complexify and kind of reveal uh, the the motivations of these characters. And I found that to be so stimulating to watch. Uh, in 2011, even though I will admit the first time I saw this movie, I was like, what is happening? It's just <laughs> like, I, I, I was, you know, completely, completely absorbed by it, but also completely bamboozled by it in some ways, <laughs> just trying, trying to figure out everyone's loyalties. And, you know, the fact that I had read Lecrae's book and I really knew the story, I think it speaks to the hypnosis of this adaptation, the way it completely draws you into this world where uh, it's all encompassing, but also just so cold and so forbidding that you have to really uh, work hard to kind of stay ahead of the characters and, and keep pace with Smiley throughout his investigation. And if you revisit it, like I have, I haven't done it in a couple of years. I'm like, I'm still there. I'm like, oh shit, I'm really, I'm really working. <laughs> like, hold on, who was that? And what did they say? And where are we? But I think that that's just like, I, 
it's it's kind of nice sometimes to relish being overmatched significantly by a movie. You're like, oh, okay, good. This is going to take some work, but it's going to be totally worth it. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of tragic in our lives that you know it's usually reserved. Um, I think in British cinema, really for like a Harry Potter movie um, to have so many great British actors in it. And you talked about royalty, but like I'm looking at this list: Mark Strong, almost never been better. Like just. Never. Yeah. Just like this is the guy who was like three inches from Anton Chigurh, which is a great what if for me because I love No Country for Old Men. So I think he would have done a spectacular job. But Mark Strong, the wonderful John Hurt, who has literally never been bad, like the guy who consistently understood the assignment, may he rest in peace. Toby Jones, phenomenal. Uh, Kieran Hines, so rarely getting to play in that you know from his background obviously he's you know um uh, irish um it, traditionally but he's like uh, playing british um as opposed to even detective fujima from miami vice who i think is one of his great accents but colin firth at this time too benedict freaking cumberbatch stephen graham who have got an immense amount of time for um and even simon mcburney who later on again it's the whole mission impossible of the world it goes oh well We'll take a little bit of Simon McBurney. He's he's pretty great. And then again, obviously oh, yeah. Tom Tom Hardy. And just any person mixed in there is just uh, anyone else is so wonderful. But Gary Oldman, I Gary mean, Oldman. yeah, I mean, a guy who has done some immense performances. Um, I mean, Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula is right up there for me um you know the fifth element he's just chewing scenery in the dark knight series is gordon but holy hell uh for a guy who was career had been typified by like playing off the wall characters who chew scenery um the fact yeah. that that alfredson said no this is the guy that needs to play this he's the successor to alec guinness in the cinematic universe and i'm going to make him i'm going to make him show what i think perhaps reputationally or other actors have always said about him, which is that he's like one of the best going around. And, and he just like, this is one of the true Oscar omissions that speaks louder than words for me. It's just, it's like there, there no, no one in that, in the branch of the Academy understood what the hell was going on until five years later. And then we're like, shit, we just missed yep. it. We completely missed this. Not enough makeup for them, you know, <laughs> not, not enough prosthetic. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think that, you know, at least Tinker Taylor probably set Gold, uh, set Oldman up to to play Churchill in, in Darkest Hour. And I do think that, you know, there's, for all of the differences these films have, which are immense, they are at least, you know, Gary Oldman luxuriating in these gray spaces and these backrooms of power. And he has this, this intensity and this kind of cunning in his eyes that I think it works so well for Smiley. It worked for Churchill as well in a different way. Um, but it, it is, you know, to what you're saying, I think that for all of his uh, dramatic eruptions in character, Gary Oldman is the professional. You know, he he comes in and he gets the job done. And he, I think, is a marvelous kind of wind-up centerpiece for this film, just because he he just like kind of walks onto the scene and immediately you understand that this is a person who is so tightly wound and his psychology is so enmeshed with his profession that there really is no separation for him. And it's just everything that he does in this performance 
uh, in Tinker Taylor is just a marvelous encapsulation of what the film does so well, which is to really just uh, absorb you in this maze, this game that spans outside any office, outside any war. It's really, you know, this essential conflict between between men who are determined to just defend themselves and uh, and get exactly what they want, even if they can't even really confirm what that is or whose <laughs> allegiances they're really serving. I want to shout out to my best mate, Maria Lewis, who stumbled into my office while I was watching this. And she's like, you know what? I haven't really been sold on the whole Benedict Cumberbatch is really hot thing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but man, ew, this foppish hair, <laughs> Taylor, I get it. Like, I get it, ladies. Uh, I, I, You know, she, fellow women, I get it. And I want to shout out. That's the, um, uh, I, I, I love this, the whole look of this movie. I love everything about it. I love getting lost in all of the textures of it. But exactly what I think you're talking about with Smiley, which I love, is like, you get to luxuriate in his observations. And so much of the mm-hmm. movie in this great technique, like Thomas Alfredson's language for the movie is like, observing George, observing people. So like setting a scene, seeing people walk, seeing people interact, seeing people talking to one another and then watching George, watching them. And it's like that one editorial choice or that one flex of this language or this one like inflection, it it changes the tone of every scene because these innocent scenes then turn malevolent, then turn sinister immediately. And you're like the whole feeling of the movie is just all these people cutting each other's throats with the greatest dexterity of how they're going to do it. And yeah. um, the, the, the greatest subterfuge. And it's just so great watching. I, I think the way that the entire movie hinges and reflects on his observation of like almost objective kind of intuition of what's happening is just so spectacular like I, I i completely get lost in it every time that i watch this movie just yeah. watching him watch people i'm just like oh more. and you know a few people when i said you know gary oldman's never been better on twitter you know in preparation watching this in preparation for our chat you know so many people are like the greatest tragedy is no more tinker tailors like no more lacare with this crop of people you know in continuing the uh you know c- continuing the carla what's now known as the carla trilogy like continuing yeah. that continuing smiley as an entity or even going back and doing other adaptations in, in the new continuity. But, um, and you know, I think we're all excited about, for example, Thomas Alfredson's the snowman <laughs> um, after Lucaro, uh, which, which is now, a source of, which is now a source yeah. of internet meme joy um, as opposed to actually a quality film. But um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, that's another travesty is like the world's so refined and perfect by the end of this movie that of course they could never continue it. It's it's such a tragedy. It really is. I mean, it's a perfect adaptation. And I think that it, it gets so much of this author. It gets so much of this world. I I am sad that they haven't continued it. I know Oldman has flirted with the idea of playing Smiley again in recent projects. I, I believe even recently he's Very talked recent. about, yeah, so about I, I, going back and doing that. Yeah. I, and I think there's enough. And this is the... Um, this is... It feels like these movies that then endure have a much more significant impact on a group of emerging filmmakers mm-hmm. um, and and people who have established themselves in the industry like a decade ago and now have potentially the clout to get a movie made. Just going, um, I'd love to work with Gary Oldman and I've got a great script adaptation here that we could play with and I've got a blueprint for how you do it 
It's called Thomas yeah. Alfredson's Ticket to Hell. So I'll just buy. You get a, you get it. Really a, does. You get a, a incredible like lineup of Brits, and you just like get the, all this murderer's row. Like, get me all the best British actors working today. Thanks. Um, I, yeah. I, I know there's not yeah. many Harry Potter movies being made, but let's get all of those guys and let's get them playing in this world. I know they're not too busy with the reunion to come back and do something a little bit more worthwhile. I, I think that with, with Tinker Taylor, I, and, you know, I, I should also shout out that Park Chan-wook, who was at one point in talks yes. to direct this film, did make a, a Le Carre adaptation, which is the little, the little drummer girl, which was a TV series. And he's um, wonderful, by the way. He's absolutely wonderful. wonderful. I would say that that is where I've seen the torch picked up if anywhere, just in terms of, you know, Le Carre adaptations that, of course, like taking a completely different approach to it than Alfredson took, uh, just really kind of isolates something that I think a lot of people miss with these films and with, um, with Le Carre, which is that, you know, he, while he's talking about spy games and he's talking about the Cold War and all of this British espionage history, he's really talking about human relations. And the very intimate betrayals of, of loyalty and uh, double crosses. And he really has a way in his writing. And I think that the best adaptations of his work capture this of making it this, this grandiose uh, kind of expression of, of humanity caught in a system and caught in, caught in between the gears. There's, something really tragic and really heartbreaking about the fate of some of the characters in Tinker Taylor. And I think that uh, rather than being in this kind of vacuum where it's sealed and doesn't seem to have any kind of weight, I think that the the world of the film and the world of the best Le adaptations, it, it captures his cynicism about the period, but it also captures his... Um, it's kind of his gallows humor about it, that these are these are men who represent the specific era of, um, of military intelligence and complete personal permafrost, if you will. Like there's, <laughs> yeah. the, the, there, there's just this, there's this um, terminal kind of uh, element of all of the characters in Tinker Taylor that, you know, you're looking not only at like maybe one of the last spy games that these men will play. I mean, John Hurt's control is gone yeah. uh, and Oldman is brought out of retirement for this, but you're seeing that, that you're really seeing the honoring of what Lecrae wrote later, which is that the, um, the right side lost, but the wrong side won, like about the Cold War, just that, that whole idea that uh, there was no winner, there was no loser here because the, the kind of the moral... Uh, decrepitude of this period, the the complete uh, unraveling of humanity, has left all of them just completely um, has has left all of them completely lost, and it's left the British Empire in tatters. Uh, but I, I just think that there's a poignancy to that that this adaptation that the little drummer girl gets at as well, but that Alfredson completely resonates with. Yeah. I that little drama girl series for anyone who hasn't seen it um i know in oz it's available for free on like one of our um uh, one of our public broadcasters uh the the sbs like you can go on there online and watch it for free but i think the 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 key to that series much like tinker taylor is like they have a, a, an actor in the middle michael shannon who like completely can do anything 
and they get him to completely withdraw from his normal, loud, boisterous quality and take it back to this, I, I don't know, like shark-eyed, you know, like uh, close to the chest, you know, very vindictive quality, manipulative. And he's he's the new paradigm. He's the next generation that would have been handed off this like solely utilizing all the tools of military intelligence and the sheer power of military intelligence for like manipulation and counterintelligence and, 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 um, you know, um, hostile manipulation. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Different, uh, you know, different terrorist groups and infiltration. And uh, it's just, it's spectacular as well. We're not talking about it, but you just reminded me how damn good that series. And I wanted to shout that out. But uh, no, that, I appreciate it. The, the. Other thing that you were talking about here is it's such a funny one because like when at the peak of British intelligence, yeah, it, it almost has this paradoxical thing where British nationalism and the, the, it's sort of like British nationalism sort of overtook self-interest in that they had this solidarity that they were working for co- their country and working for the good of the world. And so they were able to sort of batten down the hatches if you like, and they were incredibly strong had a, a you know a, a foothold in europe and that they were controlling the chessboard of everything that was happening across and then when you see this like pivot to this ideological um you know this ideological view of the world um you see that it's much easier for people's self-interest to be the first and only thing like queen and country is kind of nonsense um and and that's the great and beautiful romanticism of like the Bond franchise that there's still like an uncorruptible, if if very gruff and right. uh, a, a hard, tough instrument, but there's an uncorruptible element that is there for the good of the world that is definitely um, a hangover of Fleming's, you know, if, whose books are incredibly rich when it comes to the textures of this world, this newly complicated post-war world. But But he's also got that great thing of like, there's this one guy, this one military man who's holding holding in his heart that this the way the world used to work the you know the, the passion for queen and country and king and country so to speak um and, and i think that that's what this just gets 
that gets in spades because you still got these staunchly moral, rigid characters who are actually, you know, as Carla, you know, his his nemesis sort of says, he's like, he's he's the one I worry about because he's not he's not corruptible. <laughs> he's not he's like the one guy you've really we've tried to offer him things, we've tried to get him over here and he won't do it. And then the currency is that some of their peers are people who've been stolen from those other institutions. And as they're there, their loyalty is constantly in question. So you need a smiley around. And so, yeah, I think right. that I, I, I love, I love pragmatic views of the world. I, and that's what this adaption is. It's like a pragmatic view of the world, which is like people are greedy. People can be bought. And the people who can't be bought attract attention because they can't be bought. Integrity yeah, which is which makes a, them which makes them vulnerable as well. I yes. mean, you you really do sense the danger. And to to kind of add to what you're saying here, there really there's no honor among these thieves, and that's really what they are. They're just hiding information. They're trying to, as you said earlier, cut each other's throats, and for Oldman to really re-enter the fray, for Smiley to go back into this world, I think he he understands how dangerous that could be for him because the, these are people who really don't have a defense anymore. They're just acting on instinct. They're doing what they've done throughout this Cold War conflict. Um, and they are, are willing to kind of kill to protect their status and protect their their tiny pocket of safety that they've managed to carve out within these headquarters. Um, I, you earlier were talking a little bit about Alfredson's direction of this, how we're observing smiley observe people. And I really think that that's part of what makes this film so brilliant is the way that Alfredson kind of frames everything as if you're looking through a telescope. He creates this, this view where you can see all of the spies up to their their different operations and what he's really tracking more than any of their individual movements is the way that information is flowing between them. Yes. And the way that, and the way that the information flowing between them changes everything about the dynamic of an interaction that Smiley might have. Um, it's just a brilliant way of leading us to conclude and leading us to really understand that information is power and information is the weapon of choice that they are using to to hurt each other, to backstab each other in this. There's this kind of visual compartmentalization that Alfredson brings to the table in making this movie that it just perfectly lays out uh, what what kind of a strange dark zoo of a place this is, <laughs> yes. um, and and I and I think it's just so great to kind of have that framing for it because you are you're told by the way that you're getting this voyeuristic view that you need to be looking at everything, and then the rest of the film backs that up. The cinematography is just gorgeous, so dreary, so uh, deadened in this this very like kind of handsome uh, smoke infested analog way. Uh, the costume design is brilliant. I, I'm sure you have thoughts on the costume design <laughs> in this movie too, because it is so precise and specific. But I, I've I, loved, I, I just I, love that. I dialed yeah. in on the I dialed in on the costume design this time, more specifically around the generational depictions. So you've got mm. like you know Smiley, which is like typical wartime, you know, constant grays. The only flashes are like bronze. You know, it feels like, and then it's just white and very very muted. I do not want to attract any attention. 
Um, and then you see like the two, you know, especially in his two younger key counterparts as he's unraveling this being like Tom Hardy's Ricky Tarr and then like Benedict Cumberbatch as Peter Gilliam, um, Gwilym yeah. rather. Um, and when they're together, you see that Peter is reaching to be like one of those guys. So he can't help but be a little bit more contemporary, a little bit more stylish. His suits cut a little bit more in that, in the, you know, the, the contemporary style and a contemporary, I mean, of that yeah. style. Um, and then you see Ricky Tarr, who's much more of like a loosey goosey, you know, um, yeah. his, his allegiances are about this new wave of spies, which is about embedding himself in places and being um, harder to trace and harder to track down and, and harder to pinpoint, like full deep undercover and watching them, everything, everything in their outfits, everything in the way they wear their hair, everything in their reactions to the world. Like I think those guys are the great like thermostat for how dangerous it is. And Smiley is just like, boop, just glacial. Like he's just got, he's just not giving, <laughs> yeah. he's absolutely not giving anything away. And you see like Cumberbatch like freaking out that like things are happening in the circus. And you see Ricky Tarr like literally put his life in danger to go to one of the outposts to send false information to help draw out the mold. Like it's, it's just Oh, it's just so great because they're everything about their wardrobe like speaks to their value and also speaks to their potential weakness and and smiley is just yeah. like iconic he's just like no this is what it is i'm very hard to place happy sad frustrated you know in the depths of danger life threatened whatever the case may be i'm still gonna i'm still gonna he's still smiley smiley still smiley <laughs> like he's just that's who he is i i read that oldman picked his own glasses for this, which I think is great. Uh, they had different specs that were picked out for him, but he was like, no, this isn't right. Smiley would wear these specs and it's perfect. You know, he, cause he's got this, um, this almost like information upload look to the specs yes. where he's just like kind of drawing everything in from every corner of his line of vision. Uh, but yeah, I mean like, and Ricky Tarr, I think is a great, the way that Hardy pulls off that look with the foppish hair that you mentioned and also the yellow jacket, the loafers, he's, he's a style boy. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, he, yes. he, he really is like compared to, you know, the much more studious and the much more kind of buttoned up look that Smiley has, like, this is a new generation of spies that has kind of stopped pretending that it's like an official government bureaucratic job he's like he's yes. living it he, he's he's living it out as something that is far from an office job and i think that you really get to see that in the performances as well the caginess that hardy brings to the table and just like the kind of the the steadily boring down drill that is altman kind of going through all of this i i love the way that that tension is set up because he he understands these characters. He understands these other people, but at the same time, he's not going to let anything about the way that they consider themselves, the way that they dress or the way that they conduct themselves as spies prevent him from subjecting them to the same very rigorous interrogation technique that he knows is going to ultimately find truth. Um, it, it's just a way of cutting through all of these new kinds of generations of mirrors that have been set up by the characters yeah the the one thing about ricky tar which i love is that like it's so easy to get lost in just i have a source i have the information and the actual toll of like being a source on the ground who woos and attracts potential people who are going to cross the line 
from the other side and vice versa have to be in conversations where they're baiting people to think that they're going to cross the line. Like Ricky's out on a ragged edge. Like he's a, he's like, he's a star boy totally when he's like at, at, in his most composed and when he's in his element, but then he's just a hot mess, which, and, and you know, oh, yeah. and, and underscoring the hot cause it's Tom Hardy with his beautiful, beautiful face. Um, and you're like looking at him and you're like, man, this guy's a mess. And, and there's a reason that he's a mess because it's like you actually get to go, oh, okay, well, there is a human toll here. And in the circus, it's not, um, it's not always apparent, but then the frantic way that people interact and the way that they say, I've got a source, I've got this information, I've got a man on the inside, et cetera. You, the Ricky Tar just then becomes an analog for all those, all those other unknown people that are around that, that, that have crossed the line, that have done this. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is this weighs down on all of these people. This is a really he- the, the burden is heavy for for all of this, yeah. and and the role of Mark Strong's character um, Jim Bridau, and watching how Control deploys him and then fall out of his actions, um, that that's a and just everything that's understated about the uh, insanity that he has to experience, um, you just go. Oh, I get it. Like, how could you ever want to even remotely be around these people when you get to see the true depths of what the actual cost is? Um, and yeah. that these guys still think that it's a game because it is ultimately a game of people's lives and loyalty and and anyone that they turn becomes the greatest asset for their people that they're opposing to to tackle, to get, to suffocate. And it's just... I think that that's the human toll is not missed. Yeah. It's this great tension of it's not a game and they are its star players. They are, you know, so good at doing, they're so good at, uh, at doing this, at, at this, um, this massive uh, back and forth, this, this maze of relations that they have to navigate. They are, so skilled in in doing that and also kind of playing off their invulnerabilities as additional facades like they yes. there's so much of that in in this world as well and it, it is a game of quick thinking uh and i just i really love and I, I feel like you know we should mention we've been talking a lot about the atmospherics of this we've been talking about the performance i do think that the script for this movie bears so much notice it was the i believe it was the only oscar nomination that the film received is that is that right was um was for a screenplay i'll have a quick i'll I, have a quick gander if, if you can confirm that i i believe that's true but i just i think it's so remarkable the adaptation that peter strone and bridget o'connor were able to actually to no it's from. it's it's one of three and before we one get back three. to okay. one, one, one of three so oldman was nominated not uh, he, was for, he was nominated okay. for actor and didn't win. And it was about the uh, Alberto Iglesias's, uh, Iglesias's score was the other thing. Um, none of which, none of which got up. But I, I agree with you. This adaptation is uh, by yeah. O'Connor and Strawn. It's just like, I mean. Thank you. Thank you for that correction. I'm, you know, with the, the screenplay of it, I do, I am happy that it was nominated at that time because I think it does hold up as this really masterful treatment of the material. Um, and I know that there's just in talking about this on the 10th anniversary, there is the additional kind of the personal poignancy of, um, of O'Connor and Stroud who were married. O'Connor, I know, passed before the film was released and never got to see it finished from cancer. 
Um, and I just think that in terms of the work that they did, it is just masterful how they were able to kind of condense all of the labyrinthine tensions of Lecrae's novel while also keeping it at like a trim two hours. Like I'm always amazed when I watch this movie and I completely give myself over to it that in two hours it does all of that. It goes so <laughs> tightly coiled and it maps every single centimeter of, of paranoia and subterfuge and backstabbing. And there's just this, um, this just metronomic clip that it just continues at throughout the entire thing. I mean, I know so much of this as well is down to the editing, which is Swiss precision editing in this film. But, <laughs> yes. but there really is just such a, uh, such a wealth of talent that was involved with this adaptation. And I think in looking at it 10 years later, that's what makes it unique still is just the impossibly high caliber of talent that was brought to the table for this, which Lecrae absolutely deserves, as we're saying. Yeah, it's, you see, when you see such a murderer's row, like all line up together and do this, you're like, okay, this is, this is the alchemy that it takes to create a truly great adaption, like in every sense of the word. And it actually, the script won a, a different, you know, critic society awards, a stack, got a lot of recognition the whole way. And I, and I think it's also like, it's not just, it's, you know, a great script is able to, um, it, it stands up to the immediate, you know, editorial, if you like, um, shift that happens when the director has such a precise vision for what mm -hmm. the script will be when it is translated to cinema. So great scripts stand up to that. And I feel like Alfredson's tone for this movie is so elevated that it's like, if, if they miss, um, if, if it misses, sometimes the script can feel like clunky or messy or whatever the case may be. But the testament is that it doesn't do that. It's completely stands up. And then also, you know, I, I think about great party scenes in movies. I've got a big affinity for like the New Year's Eve scene in the Phantom Thread, for example, um, and how much that is pivotal to the, the rest of the movie. But like the great kind of office Christmas party scenes are also yes. a marvel for me in this, especially when we're talking about the script. Cause I'm like, these are when these people are letting their hair down or when we're falsely meant to think that these people are letting their hair down. And I'm just like the balance of drunken fake, letting your hair down, like the, the delicacy of every line that is delivered in those scenes. And then all the double meaning and all the things you can read into it, revisiting. I'm like, Oh, just how careful they had to be in bringing that to life and making it really translatable to, you know, faster, you know, more quickly executed things than you can sort of linger on in, in a book. But I, I look at those scenes and I'm like, Oh, the, you know, spies talking spy language to one another and trying to manipulate each other in, in some ways is an easier task to do. But then when you have to get these, the layers on layers of spies and then letting their hair down, but are they not letting their hair down? Cause they're all betraying each other and this and that, and this one line and this one yeah. look, I'm just like the degree of difficulty with which that scene takes to work. I'm like far out every single time. I just like, uh, that's, that's the toughest those scenes are the toughest to scenes in my mind that would have been to write, to get it right tonally. And they're just flawless. I, I like to think that, I know that Le Carre himself before his death has a cameo in Tinker Taylor in the Christmas party scenes. Yes. I like to think 
I like to think that his appearance there is in some way just a, a seal of approval from him that they got it right. And specifically those scenes, just because I do agree with you that they're so pivotal to marching the action of the movie forward is this just understanding that beyond the cubicles, beyond the meetings, like this is their lives. Like this is just what they have committed their entire existence to being is this shadow person just on, at like a, a Christmas party. It just, it does have this completely dour, almost terrifying kind of ambiance to it, just because you do understand how much they're continuously on the knife's edge. There's no clocking out from something that is this all-encompassing as as the spy craft of this movie. Yeah, I that's one thing I loved. He so many writers, you know, sometimes um have the awful experience of having their work adapted and not being happy with how it's adapted and how it takes certain liberties with what it is. And I loved, you know, again, maybe it's because he, the man was a spy, but like Lacare is like Look, the movie is a completely different thing. The script was a great script. I really like the script. Once you overlay a director who has a vision, the vision is the vision is the way that the movie's going to go. Um, and he was just talking about how much he admired Thomas Alfredson's vision for the movie, and he's like, and and his ultimate sort of like blessing is like he was extremely flattered and blown away with the adaption. He was just flattered and blown away that like that's what they could get to with their material. Um, you know, knowing that his book still exists and it doesn't, you know, you don't have to prescribe to this adaptation if you're a fan of Lucare and you just love the book and how you see it in your head. But it's like his vision for it was so clear that it it, ele- it elevated an already great adaption in his mind. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I think that that's, you know, if there's after so many horror stories of great books being butchered for blah, 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 um, and maybe sometimes other books being adapted and, elevating you know i mean my controversial take here is that um i think peter jackson's fellowship of the ring is vastly better than the book <laughs> like as far as like they just trimmed they, they trimmed away all of the 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 world building and distraction sometimes that like i just can't, I can't that book is near unreadable for me now i know it might be a controversial take but the the first movie is so like amazing um but i think that Lakare himself gets to go he gets to see it he gets to play in it and get to just see them build this thing out of his world and 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 i guess be super proud that at least one of his adaptions was like a stone cold masterpiece you know yeah yeah and such a testament to how correctly they calibrated the tone of this adaptation that Lakare, a spy a lifelong spy fits right in. You wouldn't even notice that he's there unless you knew that unless you knew to look for him. It's the perfect uh for for a spook like him, I have to imagine it was the perfect cameo and the per- the perfect opportunity to be a part of this world is to to literally be placed back into it. Of course it is intensely stylized and there is this um this cinematic mastery to it that makes it very clear like we're watching a real, you know, meat and potatoes great film. But at the same time, I just think that it so succinctly creates a world that Lecrae likely recognized. And I think that, you know, there was this uh, this element to Tinker Taylor as a book to begin with, just him drawing so extensively on his own experiences. And I, I enjoy watching the film in part because I think that it, it really captures at least my experience of reading Lecrae. And kind of that that very clipped, uh, no nonsense style. I think there 
there's something about the way that this film is is adapted that it's just meticulous enough to kind of nail that prose style as well. Um, I agree with you about Peter Jackson, by the way. I think you know, like <laughs> T- Tolkien, you know, he created a world, but Peter Jackson brought us to that world and showed <laughs> us that world. He he created it on screen, and I think that there's something very similar about Tinker Taylor that's almost miraculous is that they materialize this world that is entirely shadow yes on screen you you create this world that is amorphous by its nature and for it to be as atmospheric and absorbing as it is speaks to just how perfectly they they toe that line between these like real bureaucratic spaces and these much more nebulous psychological chambers that everyone is in at the same time Oh man, Isaac, thank you so much. This has been such a treat talking to you about this movie. Uh, I mean, it's 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 truly. I, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, you don't. Rem- if you haven't seen it, uh, you probably shouldn't be listening. But if you have, um, if you, ha- you go and see it straight away immediately. If you if, if you listen to this entire conversation, we haven't really spoiled any of the machinations. So totally, um, perfect for you to go and revisit. I would just say for anyone who hasn't seen it in a long time, it's so. So, so it's one of those movies that, you know, passes in the decade and, and, and truly does, you, you can see it, the tendrils of its impacts on different, the culture of movies, especially espionage movies since its release. And it had, you know, most immediately with Bond, but like you can see the impact of it. So it just stands up and stands tall and getting a chance to see all these actors who so often are like dressing as dwarves or, you know, uh, space time controlling wizards or some other nonsense. Um, watching all of these people uh, get an opportunity to just stare straight down the line and like just bear their humanity um, and then just modulate it because they're in this den of, you know, this, this, this den of betrayal. Um, I, I, I think it's just so special and it just continues to be special. And so thank you for your gush about it. And thank you for, for coming to chat to me about it. Of course. And I know that, you know, for those who are interested in kind of digging in, including people who are familiar with it as well, that Kino Lorbert has actually put together like a 10th anniversary 4k release for Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. So for, for those of you who are looking to kind of dive in more, I should just plug that, that, you know, there's a, luckily, you know, I, I haven't seen nearly enough conversation about Tanker Taylor Soldier Spy for being the masterpiece we have now rightly surmised it to be throughout this conversation, but it is receiving that, that honorary treatment of having a new release that uh, is filled with, you know, special features, it's got some essays, and it just, uh, I, to me, I'm I'm excited to see that because I did worry that this film was going to perhaps fittingly just vanish back into the shadows <laughs> from once it came. Uh, I, it's it's almost like a fate that is, it's like, <laughs> um, it's it's that kind of like like manifestation that you know <laughs> that manifestation of its own destiny for for smiley oh, to go back into his soundproof room and 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 one thing i do you know stylistically just and selfishly think you know I, I look at my office sometimes and it's just a mess of creativity and all of my inspirations um and at the same time I'm like but also one day would i like a room that's just like orange soundproof foam a la george smiley's office in the circus maybe um, so if one day miraculously you ever see a photo of me recording a podcast and uh, and there's orange foam behind me and I'm suddenly wearing a suit and I'm clean shaven, um, you'll know that that's when I've 
um, I've, I've relented and uh, decided to take a, a more extensive look at Tinker Tailor. But until then, mate, thank you so much. This has been a real treat and, uh, and, and I really appreciate you and your great work. I'll link our patrons and anyone who's listening to all of your stuff. And uh, yeah, just thank you again. Thanks for having me, Blake. It's a pleasure, and uh, and thank you for bringing me in to talk about this one specifically. I, you know, clearly we've got no shortage of love for it between the two of us. So, so this was great for me too. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.